Are you guys excited about Alpha? Well, let me try this out. Are you guys excited about Alpha? Oh, they're outdoing you. Are you guys excited about Alpha? All right, all right. Man, do, you, do you guys sense the presence of the Lord in this place? There, the presence of the Lord is in this place. And uh, listen, I want to, for some of those that are thinking about Alpha and saying, hey, how am I going to participate? Am I going to be a host? Or yeah, am I just going to come? Let me just take some anxiety off, all right? That God does the work. Our job is to plant and water. But God gives the growth. He adds the increase. That's what his presence is here to do, is to add the increase, okay? So if you're here and you're thinking, you know what? I want to do Alpha. I want to host Alpha. Obey the nudge. Because the Holy Spirit is nudging some of us to host an Alpha group, right? And all you have to do is obey the nudge. We're going to train you. We're going to train you. We're going to train you. You don't have to be as smart as Doug. Amen. Right? You don't have to know all the, all you have to be able to do is to love people and to serve people. And you are equipped to host the Alpha Group. Listen, if you're thinking about who you want to ask, the guests that you want to bring with you, you don't have to get real deep and think, oh my gosh, how are they going to commit to seven weeks? Just ask them to come once. Right? There's a stat that says that seven out of ten people will come to church if we just invited them. So all we're just simply saying is obey the nudge and invite them. And we'll have 500 guests coming through grace, getting an opportunity to meet Jesus. How would our world change? Amen. Can you see it? Can you sense it? Can you expect God to do something awesome? Hey, just a few more announcements. Uh, we've got uh, Tuesdays at Grace happening on. Uh, Box God Caged People. Uh, my wife, Sinead, will be teaching this Tuesday. Be there. Divorce care starts again. There's so much stuff in here, guys. Pick it up. Read it. There's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, we got uh, the, the men's breakfast next Saturday. And uh, we got the Eagles sports run coming up. And Doug will talk more about that. So one last nudge for you to obey. I want you, everybody, stand up. Stand up. Who's scared they're going to have to do the hokey pokey? Why don't you turn yourself around and say hello to your neighbor? You can keep talking. I'm not ready yet. Hey, just an update on the race, uh, the Eagle Sports Cup run uh, coming up. We made a commitment that we were going to raise $25,000. UAW Ford is going to match it. Uh, we are at tw just over $20,000 right now, so we should clap for that. But I'm thinking there's probably another... Um, five grand in the room, people that are feeling the nudge. So if you want to give to that to get us over the hump, you can just stop and tell Terry. Uh, maybe you represent a business and you know that they would donate. Maybe you own a business and they would donate. Uh, but we'd love to get to the 25. 
Um, that's $50,000 to teach kids to read, so it's a good thing. So let's pray. Lord, I do um, just ask in these next few minutes that you would just guide my words. We're talking about a difficult subject. I pray that you would um, allow us to hear uh, just a good, good father inviting us to rest in the river. That's really what today is about. And uh, I love that picture that Mel gave us today in worship, and I just pray that we would uh, not flail, but we would just allow you to wash over us. Guide my words in Jesus' name. Amen. So I do want to start today by just kind of saying today feels more like a confessional to me than a sermon. Um, This is not an area that is my strength. Um, God has been showing me this actually for quite a few months, been working on me. I've been trying to make some uh, changes along the way and even preparing this week. It's just very clear to me. uh, I still have some work to do Uh, in the area that we're talking about today. And what I am going to talk about today uh, has huge implications for every single person in this room. It's part of the rhythm that God has established for all of us. And the truth of the matter is, if we neglect this rhythm, if we neglect this particular discipline, um, the results are are catastrophic. And, And I made a list of some of the things that are affected by our lack of practicing this discipline. And the first one is, Uh, we suffer from superficiality. By that, I just mean we have difficulty engaging people at a deeper heart level. We're sort of flat, if you will, emotionally. Inability to love others well. And I put this one on here more as a, a way of helping us understand we have a hard time seeing the needs of other people, the physical and emotional needs of other, and stepping in as servants and meeting them in that need. We have difficulty managing our daily schedule. Life seems overwhelming. We tend to miss appointments. Just busy, busy, busy. We have poor devotional life. You wake up with the best intentions, but seem to just not have enough time to get to that God stuff that you thought you were going to that day. You lack joy. You have frequent friction with your family or friends. Frequent friction at work suffer from burnout maybe and burnout for me is you just don't want to get up in the morning going to work is just a pain it's a drudgery and the last one is something I call sunset fatigue sunset fatigue is that inability to love the people you live with because the day has gotten everything that you have and you come home and you're tired and you're worn out and so the people who live in your home are neglected so what I want you to do is I want you to just look at the list And I just want you to ask yourself, do any of these, do all of these, do some of these relate to me? Are are they descriptors of where I am right now? Just look at the list and do a little self-examination. And what I'm going to talk about today is really the antidote to all of these things. God has already given us the answer to our deepest struggles. Everything we need is at our fingertips. And the question is, are we going to take advantages? Or are we just going to struggle needlessly? We're in the second week of a series that we've called Pursuit. And and our desire over these four weeks, starting last week, is just to talk about ways in which we can be intentional about pursuing God. Things that we can do to carve out space in our lives to experience more of what God has for us. We're talking about spiritual disciplines. James 4, 8, you're going to hear it every week, but we want it to become a passage that kind of just lands on you and you know it. It's draw near to God 
and he will draw near to you. And what we're doing over these four weeks is really answering the question, how do I, or what are some of the ways that I can draw near to God? Last week we talked about fasting, and I told you that the elders have prayed and and decided that we want everyone at Grace to fast in some way for the month of September. So we have people that are giving up a meal, not doing lunch maybe. We have people that, I've talked to people who are not eating during the, the daylight hours. They're not eating between 7 and 7. I've talked to people who are just doing a juice fast. I've talked to people who are just giving up particular foods that they love and making their diet much more simple. But, but the idea is we want every single person who calls Grace their home church, and if you're just hearing this for the first time, you can still get on board and do it, to give up something for these next 30 days till the end of the month of September and just ask the Lord to show up in the midst of that act of sacrifice. If you weren't here, I encourage you to get the CD and listen to it. It'll help you to understand what God's up to in the midst of fasting. But we want everybody to fast. And while you're fasting, pray. Pray for grace. Pray that God will show up in an amazing way through Alpha. Pray that we would actually have 500 people show up, that many of those people would come to faith in Christ. What we think is God is preparing us as a church for something really big this fall. And we want to be ready, and fasting and praying is, is a biblical way for us to prepare ourselves for what God's about to do. I also want to just encourage you to email me or send me a message on Facebook. If you, if have, if you aren't my, my friend on Facebook, it's not because I don't love you, it's because you haven't asked. But if that's the way you want to start, just send me a friend request. But I would love to hear what God is doing. I would love you just to email me or, or Facebook or whatever works for you and, and tell me a little bit about how God is moving through the fast. And I actually want to share one story that I already heard this week. So somebody emailed this to me, a friend of mine said, I started my fast today and I told myself I would open my Bible every day and read a story. While I was in the shower this evening, the voice of an old mentor in my head told me, go to John 6, 25. Now, I don't know the Bible chapters very well, but I took the message to be from God. Martin Sanders told us once that a word from God often sounds like parents or mentors. So when I got home, I read it. And it was the bread of life story. Talk about motivation and knowing that I have the support of my father. I love this. So my friend, who really isn't all that knowledgeable in the biblical voice, haven't really done much fasting, decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take uh, what the elders have asked seriously, and I'm going to fast. And so he's praying about fasting, and he hears a voice, and it sends him to the very passage that says, look, I am the bread of life. And he hears his father saying, look, I'm in this with you. I will sustain you. Isn't that cool? We have a God who is personal, and I want to hear those stories because I bet there's hundreds, hundreds of those stories already happening. So send them to me, uh, email them to me, and I would love to have them. And just so you know, I may share them, but I'll be careful not to use your name as I did just now. Quick recap. Last week, I talked about this fact that that we only have a limited amount of pursuit in us, right? Everything I pursue requires something to me. It requires my, my energy. It requires my emotion. It requires my time, right? So we all have only a, a what I would say, a finite amount of pursuit in us. But what I, what I, what I talked about was the fact that, that, that if we look at this in a pie chart, that, that if we gave 100% of all of our pursuit to one thing, and I would probably choose food, but I talked about that last week. But if that's all we pursued, we could give 100%. But that's not very realistic because we, we have a, a life that we have to lead. So, so if we just add one more thing in there, like our career, then we could give 50%. But that's not really realistic either. So then we add, boom, 
our hobbies. So now it's, it's 33%, right? We could give all those, those little bits to each one of us. There's, there's a limited amount, but we just keep going. So we got marriage, keep going. We got kids, friendship, entertainment, money. All of these things are good things, right? All of these things are things that God gives to us. And what ends up happening is, is we pursue all of those things, and then we try with a, the best that we can to squeeze God into our pursuits. And I said it last week, and I'll say it again, and I know it sounds hard, but if, if this is the model that you have in your life, and, and the, the test for whether or not this is the way your worldview world is, is do you start out the day wanting to spend time with God, but... God gets squeezed out. You just don't quite get to it. You really haven't found the time. Well, that's your paradigm, and and what this is called is idolatry. So all of those things are good things. God God gives us a career. God gives us kids. God wants us to have a great marriage. God wants us to have community and friendship and and, and finances, but but we're not supposed to pursue all those things. There is a different worldview that we need to hold on to, and so um, we're going to talk about this a few times because I think we need to get it, and the different worldview is that we need to pursue... God. We need to have this model in our mind that everything we do is the pursuit of knowing God more, of of honoring God more, of worshiping God with our entire lives. And what happens is when we really set a priority and pursue God, God changes how we think. God changes our desires. God changes our response patterns to other people. And so what ends up happening is it, it changes our diet. And it changes our workplace, and it changes our hobbies, and it transforms our marriage, and it gives us a new relationship with our kids, and, and it gives us greater community with other people, and, and it changes what we see as entertainment, and actually has an impact on our finances. But this is a, a different picture that we need to hold on to. And this series is a picture of just some of the ways that we can prioritize God, and we can pursue God knowing that he will be, bring about transformation in the rest of our lives. We need to place God in the proper place, and we need to pursue God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, and all of our minds. One of the things we talked about last week is is these disciplines that we're going to talk about over the four weeks, they're not kind of a once-and-done thing. You don't get to just try them and be done with it. So you can't say to yourself, well, I tried fasting once, and it just didn't do anything for me. Well, I tried praying once, but didn't really hear anything, so I don't pray anymore. I came to church, and I sang one time, and I really didn't feel very comfortable, so I just don't sing when I come to church. It really doesn't work that way. The idea of spiritual disciplines is we practice them, and as we practice them, they become more familiar. They become more comfortable to us, and we begin to bear, they begin to bear fruit in our lives. So as we talk about fasting, it's got to be something that you do regularly, and as we talk about today's discipline, it's definitely got to be something you do regularly. And today we're going to talk about Sabbath. What does it mean for us to have and to keep Sabbath? One of the more entertaining moments in my preparation this week was when I looked Sabbath up in the dictionary. This is what it actually says. It says, a day of rest and religious observation among Jews and some Christians. Isn't that funny? I find that very hilarious. Like, Webster knows we as Christians have a little struggle with So just some Christians do it, but the majority, not so much. So it was actually reassuring to me. So I told you this is a bit of a confessional. Well, at least I'm in good company, right? Because only some Christians participate in Sabbath. I just think that's so funny. One thing that was really um, fascinating to me, so we went to Israel, most of you know that, spent the five weeks. Uh, Friday night, literally the horn blows. 
you could hear it from our apartment. It just, it, it echoes out. And, and when the horn blows, everything stops. Traffic stops. Commerce stops. No taxis, no buses, no trains, no business. It, it, it's all, the first Friday, it was almost eerie. Like the town turned almost into a, a ghost town. There were people out on the street, but even the people on the street were, were far less than before, and the traffic noise ended. It just, it was crazy, but it was also very refreshing. The thing that was kind of hard for me is so everything would stop except for the university. So I was going to the university, and so I had to walk from our apartment an extra four or five miles both ways to get to, to, get to school. So I didn't really get a Sabbath, but everything else stopped. So, so if, I, if I were to send them any note, it would be like, you guys should observe Sabbath the way the rest of Jerusalem does because it would make life a lot easier. But this is actually a picture of Jaffa Street, which is a famous street in Jerusalem. Um, I would liken this to Woodward. You can see they even have a light rail system, just like we'll have soon on Woodward. But you can imagine how weird it would be to look down Woodward and see no cars, no businesses open. This is on uh, so maybe it'd be like Kerchival if you were in the points. But a busy, busy road, everything stops. And I found that to be so inviting. And I thought, man, it would be so much easier to participate in Sabbath if I lived in a place where everything stopped. Because here, everything doesn't stop. So what does that mean for us? It means that if we're going to really practice Sabbath, we're going to have to be even more intentional. We're going to have to be even more dedicated to making this happen. The world doesn't stop like it does in Jerusalem. We have to come to this place where we understand that this is a tremendous invitation from God. And that's the first point I want you to understand, is that Sabbath is an invitation. I've said it before, and I'll probably say it a lot. The movement of God always starts with an invitation. The movement of God in our lives, the movement of God in the lives of all the biblical characters throughout the Bible always started with an invitation. And the question is, are we going to accept or reject the invitation of God? I was talking about this struggle with, with Denny this week, and um, we were riding in the car, and Denny said to me, Brother, because that's how Denny talks to me, he said, Brother, do you think you're sinning when you don't observe Sabbath? And I said, Well, yeah, I think I am. Because God has told me to practice Sabbath, and I don't do a very good job in sinning. But I also feel like God is saying to me, look, you just need to understand, Doug, that, that, that when, when, when I ask you to do something, it's not to restrict you. It's to unleash something for you. And sometimes we think of, of sin as being freedom. I can do what I want to do. But what we find out as soon as we sin is the sin actually becomes bondage. And so there's this thing in our head that we got to get straight. So even as I think about Sabbath and I think, yeah, I do think I sin when I don't practice Sabbath, what I hear is my heavenly father, my good, good father say, no, Doug, just, just say you're sorry. Just say, I'm sorry, and repent. And you know what repent means? It means to turn around, to do it a different way. And so I hear God saying to me, and I think God is saying to all of us, look, this isn't about shame and it's not about guilt. It's about turning from what you were doing and realizing I have an invitation for you for more than you can ask or imagine. So Sabbath is an invitation. And first of all, it's an invitation to rest. Grab your Bibles and look up Genesis chapter 2. So first book of the Bible, second chapter of the Bible. Second chapter of the Bible, and we're already talking about Sabbath. So maybe we should pay attention. Maybe there's something important if it gets talked about this early on in the Scripture. So Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, 
On the seventh day, God finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, God rested from all of his work. Verse 3, and God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Here's the question I would ask for you. Why did God take six days to create the earth? Did you ever wonder that? Did you ever wonder why six days? Is it because he needed six days? Did he look at the scope of the amount of work to create the universe and say, well, I'm going to have to schedule six days if I'm going to get this done, and I'm really going to have to stay really busy, and I'm going to have to really work hard if I'm actually going to accomplish all that I have to do in these six days. You know God created all of the, the world, all of the skies, all of the heavens with a word, right? So I don't think it was because he had to take six days. He's God. If God wanted to, he could have spoken everything into existence with a blink of an eye, Right? So it wasn't that he needed six days, but the reason he took six days is because God was creating more than a thing. He was creating more than a place. He is, he is establishing order in time. He's establishing day and night, and those days and nights add up to make weeks. And then he's establishing this rhythm of how the week is supposed to be played out. There's more going on than just the creation of a thing. And why do you think God rested on the seventh days? Do you think he was tired? Was he worn out? Was he like, man, that was exhausting. I need to lay on the couch for a while. I am so tired from all of my work. That's not how God works. That's not who God is. He didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he is establishing an order that we need to understand. It was done as much as anything for us, for us to see an example of how we are to live out the rhythm of our life. So Genesis 2 says, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. The word holy there is the same word that is often translated sanctified. And really, all it means is set apart. So, we are followers of Jesus, and we are called to be holy, which means we're called to be sanctified, which means we're called to be set apart, all a way of saying the exact same thing. What that means is we are to live in the world and not be of the world. We are to live differently than the rest of the world lives. And by doing that, we set ourselves apart. We're different than the rest of the world. So if God picked the day and made it holy, he set it apart, he sanctified it, he made one day of the week that is supposed to be different than all of the other days of the week. And in that day, the purpose is to rest. The word rested in verse 2, and the word on it he rested in verse 3, is the word Sabbath. Go back to the list of common struggles that we face when we fail to uh, practice Sabbath. Superficiality, inability to love others well, difficulty managing our daily schedule, poor devotion life, lack of joy, frequent friction with families, frequent friction at work, burnout, and sunset fatigue. All of these are rooted in a lack of rest. All of these are rooted in our inability to, to stop and practice the Sabbath. The truth is, we are inflicted with hurried sickness. Most of us move at a pace that's more than exhausting, and it's costing us our health, and it's costing us our families. People are often heard saying in their old age, I wish I had taken more time for my family. I wish I had taken more time for God. Mark Buchanan writes in his book that a busy life murders the heart. Strong words, but words we need to pay attention to. But Sabbath, 
Sabbath rest is the antidote to these relational struggles. Sabbath rest infuses life in us. Sabbath rest brings vitality to our community and to our relationships. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, we're going to read verses 13 and 14. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. Isaiah is talking about the Sabbath, and he says, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasures on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and a holy day unto the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own way, not seeking your own pleasure, not talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And listen to this. I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. When you look at that passage, do you see the invitation of God? It's not a duty, it's a delight. It's not a burden, it's a promise. It's not a pain, it's meant to bring great pleasure into our life. The promise that God is making is if you practice Sabbath, and we'll talk about what that means in a few minutes, but if you really practice Sabbath, I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. What does that mean? Well, the writer is painting a portrait of a, a king or a, or a general who's been victorious in battle and rides to the highest point and looks over the field of battle and, and sees what he has conquered, sees what God has given to him. So what does it mean to ride upon the heights of the earth? It means that you will have victory over the things that are afflicting you. It means that you will be able to rise above. You're in a safe place, a high place with God. It's a beautiful picture of of having God's protection, to being a part of God, being on God's stronghold, of God being your protector. The question is, do you want to have greater delight in the Lord? The question is, do you want to ride on the heights of the earth? He says, consecrate, make holy, set apart one day, 24 hours to rest. The rhythm of God in the creation story is setting eternal precedence for all of us. We were made for Sabbath. Work is important. Work is actually necessary. But the question is, are we willing to put aside what's necessary in order to rest? So the Sabbath is an invitation to rest, but it's also an invitation to reflect. Or you could say, remember. Same word. Turn in your Bibles. I know I'm jumping around, but bear with me. Turn to Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 5. This is another stating of the Ten Commandments. But Deuteronomy 5, we'll start reading verse 12 and then jump to 15. Verse 12 says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Which means what? Remember the Sabbath day, set a day apart, right? Consecrate one day. One day is to be, to be set apart for me. Okay, so that's 12. Verse 15. You shall remember that when you were slaves in Egypt, the Lord your God brought you out with a, his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, Therefore, the Lord God commanded you, keep the Sabbath day. He's saying, make sure you set apart a day to rest, and make sure you set aside a day to remember. But what are we to remember? Well, simply put, we're to remember who God is and who we are not. We need to remember who God is and who we are not. The reason God put the, the Sabbath into the Ten Commandments, the reason God has such an emphasis on the Ten Commandments and all of the, the prophets, almost every prophet talks about the Sabbath and the lack of keeping Sabbath because we as humans, we have this natural-born propensity to forget. 
We forget that we were actually made in the image of God. We weren't made to be God. And so we become gods in our own life. We forget about the wonder and the, the majesty of God. We become self-reliant and we become proud. We all suffer from this, everyone in the room. We start to think that we're, we're own, our own provider. We think we're, we're our own savior. We think to ourselves, we are so clever, so hardworking, so brilliant. We made all of this happen. And so we become like King Nebuchadnezzar who stood on the rooftop and looked over the city and said, look what I built. Look at all that I've accomplished. And God said, no, 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 no. Let me just humble you for a minute. This wasn't even a follower of Yahweh, and God wanted to make sure he knew, no, anything you have comes from me. How much more so for us, but we forget, and we become self-reliant. Sabbath is this intentional time to reflect and remember that all we have is because of God. The very breath that we have in our lungs, he is our provider. He is the one that gives life. He is the one that sustains us. This intentional reflection is what keeps us humble. It helps us to have the right mindset towards ourselves and towards God. So the Hebrews, they were to stop and they were to remember their work did not produce the crops. God produced the crops. They were to remember their strength, their ingenuity, their numbers did not win the wars. God won the wars for them. They were to remember they are recipients of a benevolent God. So Deuteronomy says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out with his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. I did this. You didn't save yourself from the Egyptians. And then the passage says, therefore, because I did this, because I've moved in your life, because I've shown you that I'm your provider and I'm the one who's doing all this, because of all that, the Lord God says, therefore, the Lord commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Something happens when we practice Sabbath. When we enter into this quieter time, time of rest and reflection, we actually become better listeners of God. We slow down, the pace changes, and we hear the Spirit of God in our life more clearly. Some of you are thinking to yourself, even as I talk about Sabbath, you're thinking 24 hours, what would I do? Right? What, what would I do with 24 hours? And I want to just free you up a little. We're going to talk about some of the things that should be part of your Sabbath. But Sabbath is less about doing and more about being. Being present with your family. Being present with God. Of, of actually showing up and letting the other things go. So it's not a question of what will you do. And again, I'm going to talk about some of those things. But, but let go of that pressure to figure it out. You know what most of you probably need to do? You need to take a nap. Yeah. Right. Naps are God's invention. I'm convinced of it. Take time on your Sabbath to reflect. How am I doing? See the gaps in your life where you know God wants you to, to move in a particular direction, but you haven't done it very well, and ask God to give you courage and wisdom to step into those gaps. So there's a good chance for you just to have some good self-reflection, right? So that's part of what you would do on the Sabbath is you just pay attention. How was my week? Where did God show up in my week? Where did I really experience God a lot in my week? Where, where was I struggling in my understanding of who God is? When do we stop and ask ourselves those questions if we don't stop working and take a Sabbath? If you go back to the Isaiah 58 passage, you don't have to look it up, but it says in there, 
um, that if you turn back from the Sabbath and avoid talking idly. And so this does not mean that you cannot have a casual conversation on the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, you should have many casual conversations on the Sabbath. But it does mean, and I want you to get this, that we have to put some thought into some of our conversations. Sabbath day is a day to practice intentional dialogue, something that is a lost art among the family structure. Quality conversations. Have intentional conversations with your kids. Have intentional quality conversations with your friend, with your spouse. And it's a time to speak blessing over one another. I know for some of you, you don't know what that means. What does it mean to speak a blessing over somebody? So I'm going to ask a couple of my friends and people you know, so Norflet and Bryce are going to come up with a couple of their kids, and they are going to bless their kids. And they're going to do it, one, because this is what we're supposed to do on the Sabbath. But I want you to see it, and I want the dads and the moms in the room to realize this is what we're called to do on a regular basis with our children, to speak blessing over them. So I'm fairly confident the kids didn't know that they were going to be put on the spot here. Maybe they did if they were at the first service and it was a different child, but anyway. So, what? He says, what am I doing? What are you doing? You're receiving. Receive the blessing. Yeah. Well, let me just say, first off, Caleb, uh, your mom and I are just amazed by you. And, um, you know, sometimes we're in the bed at night just like, we are so blessed. Um, you know, you guys pray on your own. You worship on your own. One of the things I miss about you going to college, I'm like, dude, who's up there? There's nobody playing the piano right now and just worshiping Jesus. And I love that about you. I love that you are a man of conviction. And you live by what you believe is right. And uh, so I just bless you today. And may courage be unleashed in you uh, to reach the next generation for the kingdom of God. Love you, buddy. You have been such a gift and a joy to our family. You have such a pure love and expression of worship to God. And we bless you. As Moses said in Numbers, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So I put the Lord's name on you and he will bless you indeed. That was hard to first service too. This is real. This is life-changing words. And it do, you don't have to be dad to do this, but dads, do it. Moms, do it. Pray blessings over your kids. Pray blessings over your friends. But you know what this requires? I didn't tell Norflet and Bryce, hey, I didn't spring this on them this morning. I, I gave them some time to think about it. So what if you're thinking about that during the week? What it would look like for me to bless my wife? What will it look like for me to say a blessing over my kids? Think about it. And you know what will happen is that 
rhythm will spill over into the weekend. You're going to find out you're riding in the car with your daughter or your son or your wife, and you will be saying words of blessing over them because you've learned how to say words of blessing, because you were intentional on Sabbath. The, the act of blessing spills over into the rest of the week. But, but what I want you to hear is this, this day. You can't just wander into the day and think it's all going to happen. It requires some level of intentionality on our part, not to have just idle conversations, but intentional conversations, intentional conversations with your friends, with your spouse, with your kids. So Sabbath is this invitation to rest. It's an invitation to reflect or remember, and it's an invitation to receive. We say that and practice this rhythm that, that God's going to show up. Isaiah 58 that we just read said, I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will make you. I will give you. I will cause this to happen in your life. You receive something from God when you practice Sabbath. Wayne Mueller in his book on Sabbath writes, if you do not have a rhythm of rest, illness will become your Sabbath. One of the gifts we receive when we practice Sabbath is better health. Do you know that we are designed physically, emotionally, and spiritually to practice Sabbath. And when we neglect Sabbath, it takes its toll on us. It wreaks havoc in our lives, and we actually have less health. So what do we receive from God besides just better health when we practice Sabbath? Well, we have a better connection with God. We have a better connection with family and friends. We have a deeper sense of joy in the necessary work that God has given us. So your job actually becomes more fulfilling, even if it's not the job you always wanted. Something about keeping Sabbath helps that job that you have to be more fulfilling. You have increased trust in God. You have greater joy in life. And you experience God's protection. What I love about talking about the Sabbath, what I loved about studying the Sabbath is just more and more realizing this is an invitation to community, invitation to greater community with God, greater community with family, greater community with my friends. It's a rhythm and an opportunity to connect at a deeper heart level. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want a deeper connection with God and a deeper connection with family? With all that God is offering through this we call Sabbath, we have to ask ourselves, what keeps us from doing it? Why are we so hesitant to practice Sabbath? And and I want to just kind of touch on two, what what I think are the two main problems. And the first problem is a lack of trust. You see, we think we're we're our own provider. We think that we have to keep doing and doing. We actually think if, if I don't do it, nobody is. If I don't get it done now, it's never going to get done. Boy, if, if I don't, if I, I got to do this, I got to outsmart my competition. I got to outwork my competition. I got to outmaneuver my competition. I got to always be going. If I'm not going, it's not going to happen. We talk ourselves into this busyness of life, and we believe we're our own provider. And so we have this lack of trust. Do you know that the Sabbath was a test? Do you trust me enough that the crops will grow even when you rest? Matter of fact, it was such a big test that God actually said, not only are you supposed to rest, but all of your animals are supposed to rest. You know why he did that? So that they wouldn't, like, find some creative way to have the, 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 the cow out there threshing the, the grain while the guy was resting. He said, no, I don't want anything to happen. All commerce stops. All busyness stops. I want you to realize I'm the one doing this. So there's a, there's a bigger picture. God is saying, do you trust me enough? 
to just stop the necessary work, the work that I've called you to, just for one day, can you set aside one day just to honor me and to be with me and to reflect on me? But we lack trust. And then the other big problem we have is it doesn't work very well in our society. It goes against all the pressures that we have. Sunday is no longer a sacred day. What if we were to just go against the norms and not participate in the things that are interfering with practicing Sabbath? It's funny, I have a a new friend. I met him. He's one of the people that taught at seminary, and he's actually in Detroit this week, and I went and visited him yesterday. He's a rabbi. Um, He's not messianic, but he... uh, Uh, I learned a lot from him, and uh, I sat and I talked to him, and this was yesterday, so his Sabbath was going to start at sundown. And so we're talking, we're talking about connecting later in the day, and he said, well, make sure you call me before 7, because I don't talk on the phone for those 24 hours. It's just amazing to me. He has a better understanding. Was that convenient for him? Of course not. He won't travel on the Sabbath. He won't get in a car on the Sabbath. There's all kinds of things he won't do. And I'm not saying that we need to swing that far. And this isn't about legalism. What I am saying is, can we just maybe go against the North? What if, I know this is crazy talk, what if you didn't let your kids participate in sports on Sunday? (gasps) What if? What if we just were more intentional about carving out space, even if it went against the social norms. Yeah, you can clap for that. So Sabbath is not about the day. It's about a day. And here's what I want to tell you is you don't have to practice Sabbath on Sunday. Sunday will probably never be as long as I'm doing this for a living, my Sabbath. This is work for me. And you know what? I love what I do, and it's a joy, and I make that excuse. Well, I like it. It's life-giving to me, so I'll just call this my Sabbath. And God says, no, you don't get away with that, Doug. So this isn't my Sabbath. So for many of you, it'll be Sunday. But if it can't be Sunday, then it needs to be a different day of the week. So it's not about the day. It's about a day. So you need to hold on to that. But for many of you, Sunday is the perfect day, and church coming here, gathering together, can be an excellent part of your Sabbath because it can be the part that launches a lot of the intentional conversation. Talk about what happened at church. How, how do you think we're doing as individuals? How do you think we're doing as a family and what you heard today? How did the worship impact you? What's going on? Talk to your kids about what they learned in the children's program. Talk to your friends about what they, what they learned. So, so this can be part of your Sabbath, and it should be. Part of your Sabbath. So if you choose Sunday, let church be a part of that. But here's the deal. You can't go home from church, plop down in front of the TV, and watch eight hours of football and say, I had a Sabbath. Well, the women laugh when I say that. Isn't that funny? So anyway, here's the problem. Watching football, especially the Lions, isn't restful. It's not relaxing ever. And it's not relational. So if the only interaction you have with your kids is move, I can't see the TV, that doesn't count. So what ends up happening on Sunday is we end up getting home, maybe we have a meal together, and then we just all go our separate ways. And my encouragement to you is be intentional. Find a different way to connect as a family and stay together as a family. And you're going to have to talk about this, especially if your kids are a little bit older, because they're probably not going to think, oh, my gosh, I don't want to do this. But that's okay. Talk about it. Find a rhythm of rest and reflection and being relational with one another. 
the challenge for you this morning is to talk about observing the Sabbath together. The way Denny and I talked in the car. Make some changes. Remember, the movement of God in our lives always starts with an invitation. And the question is, are you willing to accept this one? So God has put into place a cure for what else is a cure for superficiality, the cure in our inability to love others well, the cure to having difficulty managing our daily schedule, poor devotion life, lack of joy, frequent friction with family and at work, a cure for burnout, and a cure for sunset fatigue. The question is, are you going to receive the invitation of God? I want to read Isaiah 58, 13 and 14 one more time as a way of closing. Just listen to the beauty of this passage, the invitation in this passage. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not giving to your own ways, seeking your own pleasures, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I don't know about you, but I want to take delight in the Lord, and I want to ride upon the heights of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that we would receive the invitation. Lord, you are challenging me, and I pray that the challenge that goes forth uh, from this message would hit all of us, that we would reshape our week, that we would take a day, 24 hours, and that we would consecrate it, we would make it holy, we would set it apart, it would be different from all the other days, that we would pursue greater connection with you and greater connection with our friends and our family. That I believe that you're just showing me that this is part of what will unleash the movement of God in this place, if we would just honor you and take a day and bless you. Help me to be more faithful in this area. Help us to be more faithful. Lord, thank you for this body of believers. May they not feel beat up today, but invited to participate in one of the just most beautiful things you've done for us to create this place to meet you, to grow and to receive life and to receive greater connection. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus. His name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You have a blessed weekend. If you need prayer, feel free to come down. We would love to pray with you.